1: Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 204 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. This week, we are deviating from our normal schedule to welcome our friend Ryan Dietrich on the podcast. And for those of you who are regular listeners, uh, you should be extremely familiar with Ryan's work as we... Uh, mentioned his research quite often on the show. So Ryan is the chief market strategist at Carson. In his role, he is responsible for advancing Carson's investment research team, delivering market insights, and expanding the firm's investment platform. And prior to Carson, uh, Ryan spent six years at LPL Financial, um, which most recently was serving as their chief market strategist. Uh, at LPL, he was responsible for managing more than $70 billion in assets under management, along with research and writing for advisors. Ryan also holds the CMT designation, which we will get into here in a bit. Um, and he's also from Springfield, Ohio, which is right down the street from us here in Dayton. So, Ryan, welcome to the show. OH. <laughs> I- I-O. <laughs> yeah, yeah I- it's I'm great, honored. Yeah.
2: I-, I was thinking, so 204, you guys probably invited me to come on this maybe way, maybe a hundred ago. I don't know. And I, it, things just didn't really work out, but I am a, a, I've been with Carson group for about a year now and get some new rules, new things. So I could come on the show and I'm, I'm a fan. I know you guys do share my stuff a lot. So thank you. And I'm, I'm honored to be here. This will be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah
1: it's going to be fun. And and we're, uh, we're all too familiar and our clients are all too familiar with the regulatory environment that we deal with. So yeah, uh, understood why we had to wait a little bit, but we're happy.
2: We are. Is there going to be a video of this too or not? Or yes, just voice. Yes, so okay, yeah, so yes, in the video is. you see I got Joe Burrow behind me. I know you guys are the podcast, but yes, to prove I'm a I'm an Ohio boy, I got Joe Burrow there. <laughs> and let me tell you something guys, I lived in Charlotte for 6 years and worked for LPL. So I'm an Ohio State fan too cuz you know it is what it is. And and that's when Clemson was really good. Clemson was beating us. Let me tell you something. There's nobody meaner than a Clemson fan. So when we <laughs> beat we beat Ohio State, beat Clemson in that game, whooped them. Oh my god, that was about the best feeling in the world. Um anyways, was. That, was, that was a good one beating Clemson cuz their fans, they were good and they knew it and they let you know it. Uh mm-hmm. but anyway, enough about that. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And I actually so uh undoubtedly I mean I always respond with IO when when you comment on our post, but yes. I actually am a Penn State fan. So Ooh, that probably hurts my, then. Sorry. I know, part. I know. Well I grew up in upstate New York and the best football school around was Syracuse. So I, a bunch of the guys on my street that I grew up with, they went to Penn State. So I was like, oh, I'll be a Penn State fan. And then I came to University of Dayton for college. Mm-hmm. And all of my buddies were such obnoxious Ohio State fans. So my yeah. freshman year, I was like, I am never going to root for Ohio State. But uh, <laughs> it's fun. We still go to games yeah. and stuff. But, um, well, Ryan, bear with us for the next few minutes. Sure. Uh, we're just going to go through some performance numbers for listeners, as we usually do. Um, so, as always, want to take the first A few minutes to recap the performance for the month and the year of the major indexes that we track. Uh, These numbers are as of the market close on June 7th, and this data is from YCharts. S&P 500 index is up 2.1% for the month and up 11.1% for the year. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 2.3% for the month, up 1.6% for the year. The NASDAQ Composite Index up 1.3% for the month and up 25.2% for the year. The iShares Russell 2000 small cap ETF up 7.8% for the month and up 7.4% for the year. And the Vanguard All World Ex-United States ETF up 2.7% in June and up 7.8% for the year. Three-month treasury rate at 5.4%, two-year treasury rate sitting at 4.5%, and the 10-year treasury rate at 3.79%. So really quick, Matt – uh, I think listeners might be a little surprised at what small caps have done so far uh, starting here in June. And Ryan, you can you can pipe in on this as well. But, you know, obviously, year to date, it's been a tech driven uh, market. Um, but just recently, within the past couple of days, small caps have Kind of come back to life and I think a lot of people were expecting this at some point since you know sector rotation is kind of the lifeblood of of bull markets right so uh what are both of your takes on this Ryan go ahead first you're the, you're yeah a guest. I'll,
2: I'll, I'll I'll um I'll take it first I guess so we came into this year being overweight small caps relative to large caps at the Carson group it was working great until when right around the middle of March, March when all the financial stuff took place. Well, what we've been seeing lately, guys, since just Friday, we had that, uh, I think it's 339,000 jobs print, better than expected. The realization, in our opinion, there's no recession coming. We were one of the only places I know of that was saying all year, six months ago, there's no recession coming. The economy's too strong. The consumer's too strong. Yes, housing's weak. Yes, manufacturing's been weak-ish, but the consumer's two-thirds of the economy with a strong employment backdrop. Fast forward or rewind, maybe how you want to put it. On Friday, had that good jobs number, guys, the last four days. Since Friday, small caps are up nearly 7%. And does piece up mm. a little bit, but not that much. So we think it's a realization. The second half of this year, there's no recession coming. We can get in all that stuff here in the next 30 minutes or so. But the realization no recession is coming, is going to broaden out. Tech did amazing. Communications did amazing. They still might do okay the second half of this year we think there's more there's more broadening out industrials energy financials your cyclical areas your small caps going to do well with no recession coming um this is kind of how we see things playing out one final comment yesterday if all you saw you're talking to a client talking to somebody say hey, you know the stock market was like flat to down yesterday well, kinda. It was like two to one advance declines because even though the Dow was down and the the Nasdaq was down and S and P, I think it was down a tad. Small caps dropped up like two percent. There were a lot of stocks under the surface participating just yesterday. And I know I'm getting real, 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 real granular with this, but just bigger picture. More stocks going up relative to down is something we didn't have. How long have we heard? Only five stocks going up, only five stocks going up, the big five stocks. Well, that was true, but now we're getting a broadening out as the economy continues to surprise the upside. And we think for investors, that's a real good sign uh, that this bull market is kind of in that next phase. We are calling it a bull market. We think we're in a new bull market. But the next phase of evolution is more stocks participating. That's a good thing. That's
3: awesome, Ryan. I'll build, I'll build on that. You know, with about one-fourth of the small cap index, a lot of those financials, and obviously that's what caused a lot of that pain in March and April, I'm really going to be watching those bank earnings that second and third week of July coming up. And I think if a lot of these banks can show, hey, things aren't as bad as the performance of our stock since March, I think you could really see the small cap index start rocking in the middle of July. So I think our listeners
2: and viewers need to be cognizant of that as well. Got yeah, one more final one. I mean, regional banks right They're the epicenter, as we all know, a lot of them disappeared, but now they're up like 30% off their recent lows. I mean, regional banks are just ripping higher. Now, believe me, they're still lower than they were you know, this time in the middle of March. But again, just a sign that, you know, they got to stop going down first. Well, they've stopped going down, kind of opening the door for small caps. Again, like you said, small caps been hit so hard because regional banks, Well, regional banks going up now. There's some positives there.
1: Right, yep. and that's and and I'll just add this is this is good for the overall market and the health of the market. Small caps are viewed as more risky than you know the large mega caps, right? So money flowing into these areas of the market, this is a good thing, in my opinion, for the rest of the year. So uh, hopefully we can, can some you know continued rotation and might see a little bit of a pullback in in large cap tech, which is okay. Um, yep. But I think again, like you said, Ryan, I think this is just the beginning of of another bull market. Um, So, you know, I know we kind of gave a brief introduction a few moments ago, Ryan, but can you give us just a little more background on how you got to where you are today and describe in your own words what you do on on a day to day basis?
2: I might need to go lay on a couch here and start talking. Um, you know, <laughs> next no, so, so originally Springfield, Ohio, I graduated from Springfield Catholic central, um, always was connected to the Cincinnati area, ended up going to Xavier university in the late nineties stock market going crazy. I got the bug. I thought I'd be an accountant and I realized I don't like accounting at all. Um, but I always liked numbers and math and I love telling stories. I love communicating and I, I got the stock market bug. You know, fast forward through my career, I worked at a place called Schaefer's Investment Research in Blue Ash down in Cincinnati for yep. gee, almost 10 years. I went, I said, you know, I want to go manage money. I want to work with people versus doing hardcore research. Um, and you know, then the opportunity arose with LPL, moved from Cincinnati down to Charlotte for six years. And then after that, I hit my seven-year itch, you could say, with LPL. I wanted something different, I wanted something maybe a, a tad smaller. I mean, Carson Group, we managed $22 billion. We're one of the largest RAs in the country. So we're not small. But I wanted something a little smaller where I got more of an impact. And, and I made the move about a year ago, which opened the door for us to move back to Cincinnati Carson groups based in Omaha. And I'm a chief market strategist. I, I just was on a call literally before we started this talking to our advisors. We call them our partners our Carson partners, you know, talking about the models and how we're managing their money. So I get to, I'm a communicator. I'm a storyteller. I'm a research guy a marketing guy I get to do all these fun things go on tv present travel the country um but i work with a really smart team at carson group and i i absolutely love our partners got to know them a lot over the past year and and you know if you had told me 5 6 years ago i'd enjoy working with financial advisors enjoy working with their clients i would have said you're crazy but i really do it's i'm a research guy through and through but working with our advisors and their partners is really uh fulfilling and fun and and this year we've had some good calls we get into it so it's always nice when things are working don't get me wrong i took this job like last july okay remember what the market did from July to October went straight down. I said, My goodness, what a terrible time to start a job as a market strategist. But fortunately, <laughs> things have gotten better since then. So I just I, I love what I do. Every day's different, um, but that's what makes it fun. I'd be bored if every day were the same.
3: I think you got a great reputation, Ryan, in the industry. You should be very proud of of, of what you've built in your career. So just thank you for spending time with us today.
2: Yeah, I've also been told I have a face for radio. So yeah, I enjoy my people. Oh, I know your voice. You know, so I hear that a lot. <laughs> yeah, one one more thing, and maybe, I don't know if this is a question coming up or not, but I, I'm i one of the first strategists to leverage social media. I started using Twitter back in 2009. I was allowed to use Twitter at, at uh, Schaefer's Vestal Research. We didn't manage money. Now everyone's got a Twitter account. Yes. But for a while, you couldn't do it. So I'm, I mean, I literally do a tweet and Carl Cantania quotes me on TV. I think he did this morning, actually. I think. I mean, so it yeah. is what it is. Like the way social media has helped my career is sure. incredible. And the way I talk about this to people is that doesn't mean just, you know, follow every fad out there. I, I thought, I thought Twitter was stupid. I, I didn't like it when I started doing it, but it's made my last three jobs have come from Twitter. Okay. I mean like the, the, the way that it works, My my only take there is don't like put your nose up at some new thing coming out there, you know, try it. Maybe it doesn't work. This isn't just financial. I'm just saying in general, there can be an opportunity with, with these new things that are coming out. Um, and as the older we get, I think the more, uh, you know, <laughs> pessimistic we get it. Oh, that's new. The kids are using it. I'll be open to it because Twitter is one example of that. Social media is one example. There's going to be a lot more of them out there. But I think that's something that's bigger picture that that is something I try to tell people. I think that's great advice.
1: And that's like, you know, when Matt and I started this podcast, we were like, should we have like we should have like a tweets and research section? Because like, you know, like like most other people that really aren't in our industry, Ryan, they're like, okay, I get my financial news from CNBC and like Mm -hmm. Fox and business and you know CNN and all this stuff and I'm like you guys are missing out on a lot of good independent like research guys people just giving their thoughts on on Twitter and on social Mm -hmm. media that in my opinion and I know that you would probably agree is we're data guys we like facts Mm -hmm. we like data which we'll get into here in a little bit and the research that you put out and a lot of other people put out is based on facts and data and it's not you know, kind of pandering on these large media outlets.
2: Yeah. Amen. I mean, I have a podcast also, Carson group, we call it facts versus feelings. Okay. So exactly. you know, I'm, I'm in the camp of facts and feelings pay a big part of it. You guys do a great job with your, with your, your clients. I'm sure when things are bad feelings come into it. So we're not minimizing that at all, but you gotta, you gotta find that fine line of facts versus feelings. And, and, and I, I joke because getting to work with advisors like half the last eight years, you, you know, in a way you're, you're a psychologist, right? You're helping your clients understand yep. what's going on when they're the most worried and they want to sell. That usually tends to be a bottom. And when they say, you know what? what? get me out of this i want to go in all you know some cryptocurrency we know what that probably means too it's chasing the shiny object and that's why it's so uh, so wonderful what you guys do to help people understand not to always chase that shiny object sometimes the dirty objects where you might want to be because there's a better opportunity there because everybody else knows the shiny object is shiny exactly Exactly. Well, this would be
3: a good transition, Ryan. So, can you share your market outlook for listeners over the next, say, six to 12 months? You've been pretty vocal uh, in your opinion that stocks bottomed last October. Um, Me and Mark are on the same page with that. So, can you just give us some more insight uh,
2: as to your thoughts and opinions on this topic? Absolutely. Um, So, we've created something called the Carson Investment Research House Views, and we're currently overweight equities. We've been there since late December. When we upgraded our view from even weight equities to overweight, people looked at us like we were. Crazy, had a third eye, um, but we saw some positives, just over the top negative sentiment. Fast forward where we are, you know, 12, 20% off those lows, approximately on the SP, not quite there, but very close. Who knows what happens today? Um, you know, there's still a lot of negativity. There's, I mean, look at any of my tweets. Okay. I do a tweet that's bullish. I get killed by people. I mean, people just hate this rally. I don't know why, but they do. So we came into this year thinking stocks would gain between 12 to 15%. We're not that far away from it right now. We're working on our mid-year outlook. Um, so we might up that a tad, but the, the, the money that we run, we, we manage, oh, I think we're, I think we cracked about 750 million in the house models that we just opened up late last year for our Carson partners that I've run with gentlemen named Sonu Varghese and other people on our team. So we're growing growing fast there, but where we're positioning, like I kind of talked about already, we're overweight equities relative to stocks, right? We like industrials, we like financials, we like energy, we like small caps. The big out of consensus bet we're making is we are overweight small caps. Very uncomfortable, honestly, the last couple months, it's coming back, like we said. So you think about these things. Here's one also, I just noticed this. If you look at like uh, v- vehicle sales, right? Light truck sales, or I'm sorry, heavy truck sales are surging. What in the world does that mean? You look at the last seven recessions. Mm-hmm. Those truck sales t- uh, tank before the recession starts. They're making like new 52-week highs as we speak. So it's hard to think there's this big, impending, world-ending recession. We keep hearing about it by every economist on TV. When- Heavy truck sales are surging. And we can get into more of these things, but I mean, it's not a perfect economy. Don't get me wrong. But again, what most companies are saying things are pretty good. They're saying the consumer is still strong. You know, the whole one final comics I can go all day on this, but the, the one that we hear all the time the consumer is strapped. Only reason the economy is growing is because of credit card debt. Credit card debt $1 oh, yeah. trillion dollars in credit card debt. Yes, there's a trillion dollars in credit card debt. What they don't tell you, though, that's the debt part. Look at the equity. There was a trillion dollars of credit card debt in 2008. Okay. We're a little bit higher than then. But Virtually the same level. You know what? You know what? People are worth since 2008 a ton more because their houses, their equities, investments are worth a lot more. So I call it denominator blindness. If you look at how much people are using. Uh, debt utilization relative to how much they can use on their credit cards, it's about 21%. Okay, that's like lower than pre-COVID levels. So to yeah. think that we're growing just because people are maxing out their credit card, sure, some people might be, but it's not the case. I mean, yes, inflation's high, but inflation's come back significantly from 9% to sub-4%, give or take on you know the headline CPI number. We like to look at core PCE, the Fed's favorite measure of inflation. You look at that relative to disposable incomes, it's actually higher. So, um, so incomes are higher than inflation. So real incomes are actually growing. Real consumption's growing at like 6%. I can go on and on on this stuff, but believe me, there are some negatives. We can get into those too. But overall, the consumer and the economy are still strong. So in that environment, we want to be overweight equities. Last one, I swear, last thing. If <laughs> you're up 20% – see, I do this for a living. I don't <laughs> shut up sometimes. If you're up 20% from the lows, which were very close on the S&P, and it might be by the time someone listens to this, okay? That's a new bull market is what the media says. I think we'll be in a bull market for a while. But nonetheless, what happens when you're up 20% off the lows? 13 times, I I went back in history, 13 times since World War II, we did that. One year later, after a 20% bounce off the lows, stocks are higher, 12 of them, up 17.7% on average. So just because we're up 20% off the lows, that doesn't mean you have to go straight back down. In fact, history would say you probably won't, coupled with an economy that's still uh, surprising to the upside. So I'll get off my pedestal and let you guys talk. Uh, yeah, Mark, that's...
1: you can interchange me and Ryan in the podcast. If we yeah,
3: did
2: if,
1: if we this need like if yeah, I can't Matt, make the podcast on his pedestals quite often. Yeah. So yeah, no, this is great. So a couple of things that stand out to me, Ryan, is number one, I couldn't agree with you more on the, the credit card debt. When everyone like quotes debt numbers, I'm like, that matters zero to me unless you put it relative to household income or relative to to net worth or relative to something, because just debt in general just doesn't do anything for me. Number two, I really think people think the economy is a lot weaker than it actually is. I mean, just a month ago, the Fed futures were pricing in one or two rate cuts before the end of the year and no more rate hikes. And now it's pricing in one or maybe even two more rate hikes before the end of the year. So to me, I look at that as an investment manager and I'm like, oh, maybe the economy's a bit stronger than people really think. Yeah, I mean, to add to this, Ryan,
3: I've talked about this in the podcast multiple times trucking employment you know you can mm. get the subsection of employment of truckers and if you look back at all those recessions that employment peaked and started to come down before the recession was announced just like you indicated on the heavy truck sales on the employment side you're not seeing a slowdown there either right mm. and so that's just another thing um that i think this adds to the justification of your viewpoint
2: yeah no, it's that's that's good stuff. I'm I going to say the I'm going to use the F word. We can use the F word on this podcast, right? The Fed. We'll talk about yeah. the Fed for a minute here. Um, yeah, I mean it's true. I mean. Th- I don't know. The Fed, you could say, was wildly behind the eight ball. Maybe they should have been hiking rates way before they were to slow down inflation. Now we're at a point. We think the Fed is done. I mean, you know, I know maybe that's not the consensus. We think they've done enough. A lot of other smart, way smarter people than me are out there kind of saying that too. And again, you know, uh, we had Jeremy Siegel, Professor Siegel on our podcast. And one thing I remember he said, this is maybe two months ago, he said it takes a year, okay, after the Fed hikes, it takes about a year for that to get in the system. So there's still a lot of medicine that hasn't even come in the system yet that we think, you know, inflation inflation's come back down one of our key concepts coming into this year was inflation is going to come down sooner than people expect because we saw rent prices coming down we saw some of these things in the private data your Zillow's and your apartment lists. we're saying and rents make up like what 41 percent of CPI something like that it's a big part of it okay those numbers are coming back to earth and inflation's going to come back there it's not perfect I know you go to the store things are still cost more than anyone would prefer but again it's all about expectations and with inflation coming down with some more medicine coming we think the Fed can take their foot off the pedal but the key concept on this everybody it's when the Fed's it's cutting is when you got to worry. I think the Fed's going to leave things where they are. The last, you know, we looked the last ten times the Fed was hiking rates and stopped. Okay, eight uh, a year later, higher eight of those times. Only eighty one in two thousand didn't work when the Fed stopped hiking. Okay, those are some interesting times in history. We think the Fed's probably done. Just going to leave things where they are. It's when they start cutting you have to worry. And we're we think we're a long way from cutting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of leads me into my next point that I wanted to talk to you about, Ryan, is is I've been a big fan of the research you've put out um, in regards to stock market performance when you look through the lens of four-year presidential cycles. So can you touch a bit more on this? Because this is not something that people normally hear on the major financial media news outlets. Um, you know, it was funny. I was working with our intern, Jack, yesterday, and he he asked me why. He was like, Mark, why does the stock market historically... Act so strong during pre-election years. So, in addition to yeah. to talking about the research in general, if you have a rhyme or reason behind it, uh, that would be
2: interesting to hear. Yeah, no, Jack. Jack's got his head on right because that's that's <laughs> a very very good question. Um, I think it's as simple as it's a pre-election year, meaning there's an election coming up. This isn't about red. This isn't about blue. It's about getting the economy up there, getting people's 401k statements up there, doing things to pull levers, to get people in a good mood before that election. I think it's really that simple. We've seen it throughout history. If you look at a four-year presidential cycle, the third year, the pre-election, again, where we are right now, is up like 18% on average, by far the best out of the four-year cycle. Again, I think that makes sense where you are. And the third year of a new president, because sometimes obviously Residents of two two terms. That's up like 21 or 22% on average. We knew this coming into this year. These are some of the bullet points we laid out, why we moved to overweight equities late last year when nobody else was talking about it. But these things that could uh, potentially take place, one more for you, when you're down the year before, like we obviously were last year for stocks, and then you go into a pre-election year, up 29% on average, never been lower. I think it's only five times, so I'll be honest. It's a small sample size. Yes, But we knew that coming into this year that you tend to have a really good snapback. Final comment, midterm years, not surprisingly, tend to be pretty weak. It's kind of weak, and then the good time come. You know, six of the last 17 bear markets ended in October, a lot of them in midterm years in October. We were talking about this last October, saying this could be the next one. It's not official yet, but I think we just hit 7 out of 18 bottom in October, midterm weakness. Oh, by the way, you know, we pulled pull back 25% last year. Very unfortunate, very, not unfortunate. It's the wrong word to use. At 120% rally, we thought a pullback could happen. Yes. It was more than we expected. When you had the 40 year highs in inflation, you had a terrible war, the fed China, lockdown, shutdown, China, lockdown, shutdown. But the reality is when you're off those lows, okay. in a midterm year, one year later, you're up like 33, 34% on average. Okay, we're about 20 percent right now. Could we truly get up there by October? I don't know. These things all stacked on each other, saying this seemed like a regular midterm year bear market. And now we're getting the regular pre-election year bounce. It's kind of cycles work if you listen to them. I love it. Yeah,
1: it's great. And we've you know, we talked about that, you know, several times on, yeah. on the podcast and, and you know, put the put the data in our newsletters and everything. And you know, I'm a big fan of you know uh Jeff and Yale Hirsch's work as well oh, yeah. when they talk about you know their seasonality and everything. So and in I believe in pre-election years, June actually tends to be pretty strong. Whereas if you just look at June over every single year going back to the sixties or seventies, June t- tends to be pretty weak. And we've already seen some pretty good strength to start
2: this month, so there's something to it. Yeah, I'll just chime in real fast. You're exactly right. I mean, that's true. We, I, I created something called the Carson composite, this playful little thing, but it's your average stock market year with the last 20 years, with a pre-election year, with a third year of a presidential, third year of a president, with a year that starts off up 5% in January. I smushed all that together to create a chart. And I've shared it on Twitter a lot lately. Um, You tend to have a rally in June and July when that scenario takes place. Yes, eventually you peak in early August. You get that seasonal August, September, October rough period, but The concept of a surprise summer rally when we looked at some of those other factors is very high. And something I wrote about just a week or so ago when the month started, like you said, we're off to a pretty darn good start in June when everyone else is saying it's a bad month.
3: I love it. Well, we got a couple minutes left in the podcast here, Ryan. I want to kind of pivot. I think most people- Already?
2: Talk- that was fast.
3: <laughs> it went. We, we, it goes quick. It I mean, goes Joe
2: Burrow quick. behind me needs to shut up. I, we need uh, to get someone else talking in here. You're doing
3: great, Ryan. <laughs> now we're honored. I think most people who work with a financial advisor are familiar with the CFP designation. You have your CMT, your Chartered Market Technician designate designation. Can you just explain to listeners you know, what that is and how it helps you with your profession?
2: Yeah. So, I I mean, another one people might have heard CFA, right? Charter Financial Analyst. I wasn't smart enough to get one of those because I hated accounting, as I talked about earlier. So I worked at a place called Schaefer's Investment Research, like I mentioned. And a CMT is more Uh, chart patterns, more looking at relative strength. We're looking at supply and demand, right? Versus just what's the valuation of this company. And I traded options for um, Schaefer's for like 11 years. So I was like a short-term trader looking at the market every day. And I kind of got burnout doing it like that. But I love, love, love the markets in general. So I grew up looking at the market a little bit differently than your other strategists you see on TV that just talk about, well, valuations are low. So let's buy, look at earnings. I mean, yeah, I can talk that way, but I like to look at the things I've already talked about market sentiment, trends, momentum. Momentum, you know, uh, technicals, how many stocks are going up versus down. That's what I think makes me a little bit different. And it's really helped my career because I don't look at the world like your average market strategist. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but it's what it is. And again, I, I look at fundamentals, yes, but I also firmly believe looking at market technicals and seasonality and sentiment will give you that little bit of an edge <clears throat> when it comes to um, your overall market and overall portfolio construction. And that's uh, kind of kind of what it is, and I would advise anyone. People ask me all the time, should I get a CMT? I say, yes. There's an old saying, though. This is, you know, the CFA helps you get the job. The CMT helps you keep the job. I was lucky enough. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good one. I think uh, Greg Harmon, my buddy Greg, told me that many years ago, and I was fortunate enough. I don't have a CFA. I've got a a job I love, and I'm having fun. But again, people ask me all the time, young people listening, and or youngsters out there listening. I say, yeah, get your CFA, but also get a CMT if you can, or a CFP. Depends what industry you're in. I'm a research guy, so it's kind of the CFA route. Um, But again, and that's just kind of a thing i don't think it, it hurts at all i was by the way i was number 499 2004 i got my cmt i was number 499 there's several thousand uh CMTs running around in the world right now and i'm i'm one of them
1: you should be yeah, very proud that's, that's awesome. awesome Ryan. Yeah. and you know for whatever reason like technical analysis gets you know uh, has a stigma attached to it and people yeah. some people think it's just like voodoo it, you know why do you think
2: that that is it's a wonderful question um yeah, I, I hate to say I don't know because that's a terrible answer, but but it's true. I think in the media, I get to work with media. They kind of look at some of those things um – the wrong i'd say the incorrect way i mean the truth is again i think a lot of people that are in the media and, and do this they they grew up with CFAs they think that that's the only way to go i said there's no wrong way to make money if you find something that works do it over and over and over until it stops working again um i do think it's changing though from 20 25 years ago i mean i'm a good example of it i get asked to go on tv and talk about this stuff and i i talk about technicals on there you know i think i think that doors opening a little bit i think people are realizing that you know there are some there are some things that the technicals at different points of time i mean the easiest one is an October October, right? We made new lows on the S&P, but small caps didn't, unless less stocks made new lows. That was a technical thing that said, you know what? Maybe something's happening. Oh, by the way, on October 12th, the day we bottomed, what happened? Right? Had a massive CPI print. Stocks sold off like 2% pre-market. By the end of the day, they are up 5% off their lows. I tweeted this the day it happens. It is very well going to be the lows because that was a capitulation moment. Everybody couldn't take it anymore. Everybody sold. And you look in history, when you have a day that's 5% off the lows, making a 52-week low, take a wild guess. We've had some incredibly major market lows take place. I was talking about that real time. I think when people see these things over and over, uh, that, that, some of the technicians that are really good out there that look at these things, it's, um, it's opening people's eyes and if not, you know what, so what, let them be stubborn, whatever. We'll, 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 we'll invest our money the way we think we should. And hopefully, hopefully do well with it. <laughs> well, All right.
1: Ryan, that's, that- a, that's a, Go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. No, I was going to say, I think it's great. And for us, it's just like risk management, right? So yes. obviously, you know, and we really embrace this concept of of relative strength is we want to own the best stocks within the best industries within the best sectors, right? And the only way to look at that is through charts. And, you know, things I think people have it in their heads is that if things are overvalued, they can't go up anymore. If things are undervalued, they can't go down anymore. But we know, looking back at history and not that long ago, How long was tech overvalued for after the GFC, right? So, um, you know, and the same thing with like bubbles, like Bitcoin and like uh, pot stocks back in the day. And most recently, AI, it's like we want to be involved in that stock. Who uh, who was it? Um, George uh, Soros said whenever there's a bubble, you should run in and buy it. It's like if these (laughs) things are going up. We want to be a part of that. Right. And to me, technical analysis, analysis gives us that insight into what is doing the best. And do we want to be a part of that?
2: Yeah, let's say the market can remain insolvent or the market can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent. Insolvent. right? Something yep. like that. Um, yeah, that's another that's another one. But yeah, I mean, it's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, again, that's why we like tacticals as well. There's certain things that we look for um, to to give us, you know, clear areas. Okay, well, we're wrong. Let's get out, or maybe we want to add here right now. And again, relative strength is such an easy way to uh, to show that. And and again, that's kind of why we, um, well, we're seeing better relative strength in some of these areas I just talked about. That's why we're positioning that way.
3: I got uh, two last questions, Mark, if I may, for Ryan. Uh, one, just real quick, let's go back into the uh, the meat of it. Uh, energy right now oil you know oil was the hot topic last year right and it's gotten kind of cooled down year to date what's your kind of thoughts on oil energy stocks etc
2: yeah we're, we're overweight energy as we speak right now and we think you know energy crude oil down around 70 dollars a barrel is a, is an area that you should be looking to potentially accumulate some energy stocks we're starting to see some relative strength out of some energy stocks all of a sudden what happened in the last two years Energy was a 50% to over 50% two years in a row. It yeah. was due for some type of a pullback or a correction. We've had that. I mean, we talked about relative strength. There's different ways we look at it. We don't always just want to buy the stuff that's been strongest. We want stuff that's been that's sold off a little bit, it's starting to show some signs of a potential bottom. And we think energy is there. And it's at the fundamental macro view as well that if you don't have this global world-ending recession, we keep hearing about, you know, there's some areas that could do well, specifically energy. China comes back online, nobody trusts Chinese data. I get it, but they are opening up more. So there are some positives there. So energy is a group that's been beaten up this year, yes, but the last two years is still the best group. And, and we think there's some opportunity in energy. Now, again, energy makes up, I don't know, what is it, guys, 3 4% of the S&P 500. We're like about 1% over that in the models that we run. But we are overweight energy, thinking that that's a nice place. And it kind of moves on steroids, to be honest. Like housing makes up like, I don't know, 5% of GDP. But it's like on steroids, it really creates a lot more alpha for you, if you will. We think energy is in a similar boat.
3: Love that. So, Ryan,
2: before we let you go, um, how can people
3: follow you, follow your research? What's the best avenues for them to kind of keep in touch with
1: you?
2: Yeah, you can follow me on LinkedIn, I guess, but also the easiest way is Twitter, right? At Ryan Dietrich, R-Y, how do I spell my name? R-Y-A-N-D-E-T-R-I-C-K. Isn't that funny? I answered everything for like a half hour and I didn't know how to <laughs> no, spell my own name. That tells, that like tells when you like someone asked you your own number, right? Yeah, like, I don't know. What's your address? I forget. Anyway, so yeah, at Ryan Dietrich's a good way. And then uh, carsongroup.com. We've got a, that's our company website. You can click on insights and our blog is there as well. But honestly, I share it all on my social media platforms. Oh, and then if it's okay, I'll podcast. promote my podcast for a second here Facts versus Feelings. It was Sonu Varghese, smartest guy in the room. Sonu's awesome, manages a lot of the models. I do the big picture stuff together. We have a really fun podcast called Facts versus Feelings. Check that out if uh, you want to hear once a week what we're up to in the Carson Group. Love that.
1: Well, Ryan. Finally, uh, last question I have for you before we sign off here: setting the over/under at 12 wins for the Bengals this year.
2: I had a feeling this question was coming. <laughs> this is the one. This is the. I can BS my way through any question. This is what I'm really going to give you an answer. Really going <laughs> to give you an. answer. No, I, I'll say over. I mean, it is what it is, right? Uh, that team won 10 games in a row. All right. Then they, then they had all the issues with the offensive line getting hurt. And it is what it is. So you know, everybody's healthy. Two years in a row, Joe Burrow are coming off a knee. In- well, COVID is first year, knee injury is second. Then he had the emergency appendectomy. Didn't even play in the preseason. Throws what 10 10 picks against Pittsburgh in week one. Then he came back. I'm exaggerating. compliance might yell me. Threw four picks, <laughs> I believe, is what he threw. But nonetheless, he's healthy. So again, I'm a homer. Yes, I get it. But um uh, yeah, the pieces are there. We will see. And they have their offensive-defensive coordinator in place for I think four or five years which is really rare especially a team that's winning so we'll, we'll see but the pieces are in place so as a as a fan i think this is the year that um joe burrow is going to do it the Bengals are going to do it just got to stay healthy right but uh with that o-line protecting him those guys will get open and they'll do their job so they we'll are see fun to
1: watch yeah. they are fun that's to right. watch yep. yeah all right ryan well thank you so much for taking time out of your morning to uh to chat with us hopefully we'll do it again soon
2: no, was, I'm honored, guys. I'm fans of what you're doing. I love this way that you communicate and the way you're helping your clients. And the fact we're all in the Southwestern Ohio doesn't hurt as well. So I'm honored and we'll, we'll definitely do it again. Thank you. Maybe after the bagels win a Super Bowl, we'll do it. Or before. Yeah, that'd be Bowl. good. Whatever. Be yeah, good. we'll do it. Yeah. All right, thank you. Appreciate all it. All right,
1: everyone. Thanks See you for Ryan. listening to episode number 204 of the Independent Advisors podcast. We hope you all have an amazing rest of the week. And we'll be back with you for 205 next week. Take care, everyone.
0: questions or topics you want to discuss on the show, message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties which are difficult to predict. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved.